Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Just your food tastes like garbage. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Only winners should get the trophy. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. It's not easy to be the best. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I didn't potato sack it hard enough across the finish line. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we are talking about kids and competition. Yes, I have some interesting, dorky science. I'm ready to go for this one because I'm pretty curious. Amy is ready to dork out on you guys with some science. Like, is competition good? Is competition ever good? I have lots of thoughts, but I thought we would start with, is it a biological imperative? Because we love that on this show. Like, we love to know that there's a reason for this thing being a thing. Yep. I'm sure it is a biological imperative. I don't even know, but I'm sure the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, of course it is, right? Like, you needed to, you were a caveman and there was only, you know, one gazelle and there were... 14 of you, so you're going to fight somebody for it, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Proto-competition. I mean, survival involves competition, but does that really mean we have to like carry that over to Little League Baseball, and why do we? So I got a study for you. And is competition a positive or a negative? I'm ready for your study. I'm interested in this. I have expert points of view on both sides of the coin. We're going to talk about participation trophies and... The whole thing. Oh, everyone goes nuts over those participation trophies, Amy. People think they're ruining the world. And people think they're great. And I have both sides of the coin on that, too. Wow. I'm ready to be walked through some knowledge. Let's start with the animal world. The animal kingdom. <laughs> Our animal friends have so much to teach us, Amy, don't they? If you study animals, as you know, other people do, as neither of us do, I guess it has been proven that virtually all organisms in the living world actually compete with members of their own species. For resources, for food. Yeah, but within those species, it isn't like dolphins compete with each other to see who can jump the highest, but not all dolphins are the same amount of competitive, just like not all humans are the same amount of competitive. Oh, that's interesting. So there's, it's not just like they compete for food. They fight over food. They actually compete like I'm a better dolphin than you. 
Sure. Or for food. But even among like I would in my head, I guess I would be like dolphins aren't competitive, but wolves are. And it's like, no, I guess like studies have shown that there are spectrums even within wolves and dolphins and I don't know, tortoises, that some are really competitive and some aren't. So that's what gets interesting. Like why is there not only competitiveness, but a range of competitiveness in each kind of animal? And the degree of competitiveness, like in the wolf kingdom, can also sort of fluctuate over time. Like it can be a really competitive time for, you know, birds or not. I love it. So, you know, the University of Bonn, Germany, researched a whole bunch of animals to try to figure this out. Like, why do levels of competitiveness fluctuate sort of, you know, species wide and individual wide over time? And they sort of posit that individuals with the highest competitive ability can't make maximal use of the acquired resources, which basically all they're saying is if you are an elk, you know, with the huge antlers, like you've got the biggest antlers and you're just sort of stalking around in the woods, you know, protecting your territory, like nobody's coming in here today. Yeah. That you're actually not having any fun. Like it kind of sucks to be that elk. It's not so great. Like that elk is protecting his resources, but doesn't actually use any of those resources. This is the quote from Broadcast News, an oldie lux alert. Back in my day, (laughs) where William Hurt says very cuttingly to Holly Hunter, it must be great to always know better than everyone and to always know what's the right thing to do in any given situation. And she's like, no, it's terrible. It's really hard. Yeah. And it's played for a laugh in the movie, but like people quote it, whatever, that movie's probably 30 years old still, because it's like, it's not easy to be the best. No. And so another, you know, elk person in the newsroom is going to look at that like, I think I can kick back. Alpha elk is taking care of business. Yeah. Alpha elk is taking care of business. And there's not that much at stake, right? Like I get to be the elk kind of laying around and I still get some acorns or whatever elks eat. So (laughs) or whatever elks eat. You can show. Yeah. I don't know that much about elks, but I do know that if the one elk is taking care of everything and being super competitive, other elks can sort of chill out in comparison. Yes. And so they become less competitive because there's not that much at stake. Hmm. Then if there's suddenly a lot at stake, there's a drought or a forest fire or not enough elk, I don't know. Then there's all of a sudden an arms race to the top and an incredible increase in competition. Mm. And then the cost of being competitive become too high and it all crashes back down to zero and it fluctuates over time. So this is how it is for animals. I'm feeling it to a small degree, but I need to land it a little bit more. What does this have to do with my kids on the soccer field? I don't know what it has to do with the kids in the soccer field so much as like, why are humans so competitive? But the conclusion of the study was just, okay, we didn't really study competitiveness in humans specifically, but what can we extrapolate from this? But they said, you know, in humans, similarly, there's a huge diversity in competitiveness. And they said the individuals who are the most competitive and like win the most stuff often seem these people were arguing the least prudent and how they're exploiting those resources. Like you have everything in the world and you don't know how to use it or you squander it or you're not happy and you have everything you need. And so that it is tempting to speculate, they say, that the external stimulation of competitiveness by societal pressure can lead to such a waste of resources 
that our future survival is threatened, Margaret. It's like when you go to the aquarium. Let's keep the stakes low. <laughs> and they show a turtle and then they tell you how your you know, use of plastic is threatening the turtle. Yes, that our survival could be threatened by our squandering of resources, by people being so competitive that they're not even getting to use all the stuff that they have won. Yes, I understand that. I mean, it's like you see the statistic all the time that like 87% of things that go into a storage unit never come out. Yeah. Like it's like we're just amassing stuff for no reason. Yes. Because we are somehow taking in stimuli that everyone has four sets of china and a garlic thing that rubs the garlic in a certain way. <laughs> and we're just like, we have to have all the things. Yeah, and I think that does lead to, like, the guy at Little League who's a little intense yelling at his kid through the fence and who is outraged that everybody's getting a trophy instead of just his kid on the winning team. Like, it does kind of trickle down. Yeah, I guess so. And there are reasons that we should be competitive, but I don't know. I guess I've been kind of focused lately on how competitive is too competitive. Like with Simone Biles, you know, dropping out of the team final in the Olympics. I'm not performing my best today and I'm just going to say no. Right. And it just kind of stopped everybody in our tracks. Like, well, what do you mean? And she's got, how many medals does she have already? A billion. What does she have left to prove to anybody? Right. Nothing. What she does is so physically dangerous that to be mentally off at all puts her in gigantic physical risk. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think we are in a time of evolving notions on so many different levels. People are comparing like the Carrie Strug thing. She vaulted on a broken ankle or whatever because she was such a hero. That was in 1996. I watched it live. Did you watch that on TV live? Of course. And we were all told that this was the greatest story ever told. Right, because she really hurt her ankle on the first vault, but she had to complete a second vault in order to maybe get the team the gold medal. And so she did. Yeah, she vaulted on a broken ankle. She was held up as like the world's greatest hero and that what else would you ever do than risk every part of your body for the U.S. <laughs> for like a piece of metal on a string. I had an ex who was from a different nation, and he was always sort of like, Americans are so weird. And one of the things he thought was weirdest about Americans was, if you don't get gold, like second place is first loser. He just could not relate at all to the idea that you would be like, bronze, what a loser. You are the third best person on earth at this. You know who gets that? The guy from, I believe he's from the nation of Tonga, the guy that is everywhere because his chest is all oiled up, like when he walked into Tokyo. Do you know what I mean? He's got on. I don't. He's fully, he's shirtless and has more baby oil on his chest than like anybody you've ever seen. He marches into Tokyo. So he's everywhere. And he also went to Rio and he also went to the Winter Olympics in between. I'm sorry, I don't have this guy's name. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. I was just hearing about him last night on NBC. So he's basically known for strutting into the Olympic Stadium like, look at me, I am living my best life. And he competed like not so well in an event. I forget what it was, like Hialeah or something like that. Lost everything. Like he's not going to medal. But he competed in, in a different event at the last Summer Olympics and in a third different event at the last Winter Olympics with zero. And he just walks into the Olympic Stadium like, here I am, the guy that oils his chest up a lot. And like, I get to be in the Olympics. And that, you know, that's a very 
un-U.S. point of view. I mean, it would never happen in the U.S. because we have a few too many athletes for that. But, he rules. But that's what you mean, right? There's another way to look at it. Like, I'm here at the Olympics. He's my kid who I said, you should take dance lessons. And he turned to me and said, Mom, I should teach dance lessons. Like, he's just <laughs> like, I lo- you love to see the confidence. I already won. Just to go back to Carrie Strug for a second, I just saw a post on Facebook, and I'll put this in the show notes too, because it was a guy talking about watching the Olympics with his daughters. And he actually went back and showed them this thing from 1996 and watched it again through his daughter's eyes and was totally shocked when his daughter's reaction was like, they're going to make her jump on a broken ankle. She shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have jumped again. Right. And he said, you know, his reaction 25 years later was like, oh, she shouldn't have jumped again. Why did we cheer that on and it just it reads very different 25 years later i think you're right we are coming around to a different point of view on what level of competition is healthy or desirable in anybody let alone our own kids yeah but it's hard to leave behind those absolutes too like it is hard to i mean my instinct having grown up in my generation is like you can't quit on your teammates. It's the big yeah. day. Like I have the movie version still in my head and it is complicated. And like, I think the way we talk to our kids about competition, it's interesting because there's no facile answers, right? Like I get the participation trophy I get, and I have kids who will never win the medal. And so I do feel bad for them and I do hate to see them participate and just always be the loser, you know, and I do find it extremely annoying when coaches are like, I only put in the good kids. It's like they're nine. Like, really? Do we do I have to have this much of the eye of the tiger for the travel soccer team? Like, yeah, let all the kids play, you know, they're kids. Yeah. When your kids on the bench, they're not going to get or, you know, sitting on the sidelines, they're not going to get any better. Like they have to literally get playing time in order to improve. And they're not really going to get any exercise, which it seems to me like is the real top of the mountain point of the entire endeavor. Yeah. But like, I also understand people whose point of view is the competitive spirit is something to be celebrated and the kind of win at any cost. Michael Jordan plays the playoff game with the flu and has to be held up and still manages to win. Like, I understand the lure of that story as well. We like those stories, right, for other people. But then I think what like Michael Phelps and Simone Biles and stuff have shown us is that we're real people behind this. We're not just a sort of, you know, cipher for your go America sense of patriotism. Like Carrie Strug, she retired from gymnastics. Like she screwed up her ankle and maybe she would have anyway, but it was the last time she ever competed. It's the last time she ever competed. Yeah. Yeah. And she was 18 years old. And is it worth it? Well, can we take a break and come back and talk more about the participation trophies? Because I think that's a good way into these, uh, what it means for our kids. Please, let's. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers Cash. Then redeem your Pampers Cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. All right, where do you come down on participation trophies? In other words, being everybody on the team, every team in the league gets a trophy for participating, not just the winning team. How do you feel about that? My knee-jerk reaction is to be very anti, but then I also find I was not a great student in high school and at awards night, you know, or whatever, you would have to go to this stupid banquet and they would give like the same six kids a million awards. Mm-hmm. And my like internal cynical brain was always like, those kids kind of stink as people. And like, I hate that kid. Right. They did tend to be like not the greatest kids who were getting all these accolades. And it, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of feel like, I saw this kid who will never, ever get recognized, like, take care of a kid who needed help the other day. And you are parading this same, like, mean kid across the stage 400 times to shower Mm. rewards on them because they did get extremely good grades. But also, they're from, like, a really rich family who can afford tutors. I feel like, I don't know. I'm a little lost on participation trophies. Similarly... It feels kind of like you could give out the trophies on day one. Like you're the most athletic kid and you have a private coach (laughs) and you're really good at soccer. So like, why do we wait till the last day? Like, why don't we just give you all the trophies on day one and then everyone else can be like womp womp. So there was a poll in 2017 where they asked parents whether they thought all participants on a kid's team would deserve trophies, American parents, and 40% said all participants deserve trophies, and 57% said no, only the winners, and 3% said they, they weren't sure. And it broke down, I'll put the link in the show notes, because it breaks down a very interesting lines, sort of socioeconomically, politically, you know, male, female, what kind of person thinks that, no, those are only for winners. And it does tend to be the people who are on the winning side of life because they got there or because they were born there who think only winners should get the trophy. Yeah, only winners. I also think this is a little ages and stages. So like Pinewood Derby with little kids. Oh, yeah. I do feel like my six-year-old will cry all night for not winning. So if they want to give him a piece of paper that says like world's coolest red car, 
that that's his prize. I'm kind of down with that. Like, it's like you're just saving me a lot of hassle by being like, there's ribbons and trophies, but everybody gets something that says what was cool about their car. I'm kind of okay with. I think as you get older, I think maybe is it possible that the key lies in less overall trophies? I think it is. My kids play on a um, a varsity high school team that just did a, um, you know, they do a banquet every year. And banquet is like sandwiches from Subway, right? And all the Coke you can drink. That sounds like a good banquet to me. I'd go. They give out awards to each other that are very like low key on purpose. Like the captains of the team, they have paper plates and they have like they put different silly pictures on them and everybody gets awards. But the award is like, you know, most likely to actually be insane during the game or whatever. They're like they're silly. Everybody gets multiple awards and it can be the best player in the team or the kid who hardly ever got in. And it can be like looks the most like, you know, Jude Law or whatever. Everybody gets a trophy being a paper plate that was scrawled on by the seniors and my kids both have a lot of trophies, participation trophies, actual trophies, and paper plate awards from this high school team, both of my boys. And they, I will say, display all those trophies equally. Mm-hmm. Like more than, you know, three months. I think the paper plates are the most important, right? That seems very interesting. And that seems like a good takeaway. They're personal and meaningful. And then keep all their Little League trophies. In fact, my kid going away to college, I was sort of like, oh, I kind of you know, gave him the out, like we're done with these trophies. And he was like, oh, I don't know. And you know, they mean something to him, but they mean something to him as a representation of what he's done in his life, like all the fun he's had and all the sports he's played. Now, he's not an Olympic athlete. He's not a state finalist, you know, all-star pitcher. Like, you know, he's not that level of an athlete. So maybe he would feel differently. But to him, he's a kid who's like, yeah, I did all these fun things. And He doesn't really care that some trophies are taller than others or some trophies are just participation trophies and some are when they won the league. They don't mean anything different to him, you know, a couple years later. I also think we have already solved this problem. There's a winner of the game or the match. Like, ah, yeah, yeah. We've already established a system to acknowledge this. Like, you won the match. I don't know that we need then, like, now let's have a trophy night where we talk about how awesome you all are. Like, we've checked this box already for me. Or you don't need a trophy night where we talk about how wonderful only a few of you are. This led to a lot of tears from my kids in second grade. I uh, was singing in a choir, sang really challenging material in a church, and it was, you know, amazing. Like, these kids were amazing. And afterwards, we're all sitting in the pews and the director of the choir was like, wasn't this amazing? And of course, we're all clapping for our kids. Our kids got to come sit down with us. So proud, so proud. And then they said, and now we're going to give out some big Apple awards. And they gave out like three or four awards to kids who had done like the most in this person's eyes, but they weren't like the soloists or anything. It just was like, and now the teacher's pets awards, basically. Right. And anyway, my kid ended up in tears in the pew afterwards because while they had just done an absolutely amazing job in this chorus thing that they had spent six months on, they didn't get one of the four big Apple awards that were handed out completely arbitrarily and for no reason, right? The concert was the prize. Everybody did a great job. Yeah. I mean, flip side, also, the world is not fair. Rich people get better outcomes than everybody else. Right. And people who are terrible are constantly celebrated. So, like, maybe we're just looking at a symptom of the problem, you know? Well, I'll give you the other side of this. So, there's a sports psychologist. His name is Dan Gould. Okay. And he says speaking of ages and stages, that he thinks that it's fine when before the kids are like nine. 
participation trophies for, say, T-ball. Like, awesome. He says, once kids hit the age of nine, that's when it gets controlling. If the trophy is not earned, you're going to hurt their motivation. For rewards to work, they need to be earned. I think that makes sense. I don't know if it does to me. Like, I'm not really worried about hurting my kids' motivation to show up for Little League next spring because everybody got a participation trophy. I don't think it does hurt their motivation. But I guess I'm solving for something different. I'm not trying to have an all-star state championship, like I just said. I mean, realistically, people are better at things than other people. Yeah. I don't think we can undercut the reality of the situation. And I think that I would like to see there be a rec league and a competitive league, kind of. Like kids who want to play and kids who want to win, basically. So that there was some opportunity for kids who were not as good to be involved in the play, you know, but I don't think it's necessarily and I'm thinking out loud about this, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily the thing you want to do is to be like, there's no winners and losers. We just play for fun. And I think some people have a competitive drive. My ex was a soccer player. And he played in like a rec league, like Saturdays, guys in their, you know, 30s going out to a park. And one day the ref didn't show up and the other team was like, oh, we'll just play. We'll just play and keep track of the score ourselves. And he was like, he left. He was like, no, it's not interesting to me. It's only fun for him if there's a game, if there's an outcome and a winner and a loser. Mm. And I think there's got to maybe be room for all the people, you know? I think there could be room for it. Like, yes, there can be a winner of the tournament. But if you have a kid who, I don't know, who played high school football and showed up for every practice in August, right? And did just as many of those drills that we used to call suicides. Now, what do they call them? That's not what they call them anymore. No idea. Because that's a terrible name for them. You know what I mean? You run like you run most of the way back and forth and then all the way back and forth. Did that same thing in the August heat as everybody else had five minutes of playing time all year. I think that kid deserves a trophy at the banquet or a paper plate with something silly scrawled on it, something that they can put on their shelf to remember. Like, yeah, I worked hard. I think that's probably different than a competition where your team doesn't comes in eighth place and you get an eighth place trophy. Maybe there doesn't need to be one. But I think like at the end of the season, kids need to be recognized for their participation and not be like, and these are the ones who really participated. Yeah. These people are deserving of extra recognition because as you said, they've already gotten it. They already got it on the field. They already got it by scoring 40 points. They already got it by being a starter. They don't need a bigger trophy. I don't know on this one, Amy. I'm really thinking about it. Like, I have a kid who's always like, well, when I grow up, I want to be a professional basketball player. He never practices basketball. He's not on a basketball team. And I'm a little bit like, dude, it's not happening. It's like, well, I have a trophy that says it is. (laughs) You would already be like much, much better at basketball than you are if you were going to be a professional basketball player. But you don't need the world to like beat that out of him. Like that'll don't I a little bit though. I think it'll become apparent eventually. I don't know where I come out on this, Amy. I feel like to some degree you want to acknowledge effort and like the value is that you showed up and you were there and you tried your best. Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if it's like everyone on the team, no matter how good or how bad, has to be treated exactly equally, that doesn't seem right to me either. Mm, But they're not treated equally because like your kid will go out for the basketball team and probably not get much playing time. (laughs) Don't tell him that, but you're not wrong. Whether or not he gets a trophy at the banquet, it's going to dawn on him that he might not be headed for the NBA. 
he's not great at basketball. Yeah, I guess that's right. That like underneath this all is something that we all understand. And I also think that the reality of the world is the talents, right? That like people are good at different things mm-hmm. and that, you know, there are some absolutes. Can you cook or just your food taste like garbage? That's an absolute. Like we don't need to establish that through a series of trophies. That's true. And so I don't know that the trophies matter because the reality is what it is, that my kid is not playing pro basketball. But don't tell him that. (laughs) I have some hot takes from a human development specialist named Cynthia Johnson. I'm not sure I agree with any of this, but this is her like ages and stages of competition. Okay. I think where I'm kind of coming down is like, oh my God, if they're eight, just let them have a t-ball trophy. And if they're 16, yeah, it's a little different. So she says... Children don't begin to compete with and compare their skills to others until they're about five. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm with her there. I think three-year-olds want to win a race. Because it seems early. No, it seems late to me. I think there are, depending on the kid, there are three and four-year-olds who are pretty aware of who won the race. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of like, I'm stronger than you among toddlers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think five is late for that, but okay. And this is what I mean. I don't necessarily agree with anything she's saying, but I just thought these were good sort of ages and stages. So I think, yes, kids start comparing themselves to others. She says five. I say more like three. Yeah, but I think also on team sports, they're all a hot mess at five, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, right. But once they get on the team, they're like, yeah, I'm on a team. I'm on the dinosaurs and our t-shirts are purple. That is more important when you're five. That's right. She argues that most children can't work well as a member of a team until they're 10 or 11 years old. That makes a lot of sense to me that like the idea of cooperative play, the idea of my role at second base connects to the person at home played and that's all very clear from just watching kids play sports. That's true, because on Little League, like they catch the ball, like instead of throwing it to second, they're going to try to run to second to tag the runner themselves. Yeah, they don't see the team dynamic. It's developmentally not set really with kids. She also argues that they have to be 10 or 11 years old before they can handle defeat gracefully. That makes sense, too. It kind of makes me think of like when you were saying in the last episode about, you know, don't take your kid to a fancy restaurant when they're three and have them there in the silence. Like it's not a good situation and it's not really a teachable skill that needs to happen. Your kid will be nine and be able to sit in a nice restaurant. Similarly, your kid will be 11 and able to accept defeat without collapsing. That seems key to me that like a five-year-old is when people are getting participation trophies. Like, okay. I mean, a lot of times, I remember my nephew's games were always like 25 to 25 because you could only score five runs and then you had to change sides. Mercy rules. Yeah, yeah. Mercy rules. And so like nobody could catch or throw. So like if the kid hit it at all, they would get a home run. Six errors per play. (laughs) And then it was like, okay, we do that for five, 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 five. And then it was 25 to 25 and you would leave. Like that was every game basically. And I think that at that age, like that is, I feel like participation trophies are kind of a mass hysteria that people are like, oh my God, because these kids will all be ruined because they think everything's equal and no one competes and they don't have a sense that everyone has to be a winner. Like kids by high school are playing games in which they understand that kids are better than them, that they lose, that they win, that there's a kid who's really good at the spelling bee, that there's a kid who isn't. I mean, I just think that the participation trophy is not the differential in outcomes here. Yeah. And that makes sense. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to say a little bit on the pro side of competition because there are some pros. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... 
toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. After finally getting out of the late night wake up and diaper changing hell of early childhood, are you now finding your Saturday mornings too relaxing? Try youth sports. With youth sports, those relaxing mornings lying around in bed while the kids pour themselves cereal and watch iPads are gone forever. Instead, you'll be up at the sunrise again. Everybody up. It's 6.15. Or maybe even earlier. Honey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I just realized Dexter's hot. Hockey jersey for tomorrow is still in the dirty clothes pile. I need to go start the laundry. Youth Sports brings you closer together with your offspring as you get to interact with them starting at the very break of day. Get up, get up. The game starts in an hour and it's like three counties over. I'm tired. Have you been missing out on chances to commune with nature? With Youth Sports, you'll be outside no matter the weather. Wow, it's 33 degrees and sleeting. And they're still not calling this Little League game. 
how character building. And you'll see parts of your township and even state that you never thought to explore. Jeez, I never even knew this part of Bridgeport existed. Could have guessed there'd be soccer fields all the way over here behind this abandoned power plant. And mom time, you'll get plenty of face-to-face with new friends as you sit for hours together on the sidelines with little chance of escape. You look exhausted. Did I tell you I saw moisturizer? Here, give me your hand. You have to try it. You know, you should join my team in my downline. I also have a side business in Statement Bangles. Have I told you about it? With hours of driving home from far-flung tournaments, you'll get precious bonding time with your kiddo at the end of each day. Mm, tough lot, sweetheart, but you played really well. Mom, do not talk to me. Youth Sports, you've been warned. All right, Amy. What are the pros of competition? I feel like, would you describe yourself as a competitive person? You know what? So I was just on an extended family vacation with me, my parents, my siblings, and almost all the grandchildren were there. I mean, there was like a group of like 25 of us. And it's kind of place where you wear matching t-shirts and you go around and there's a double dare and a pool games and a name that tune and all kinds of things you can participate in. And I participated in some of them, but mostly as a like, I'll stand on the side with the hand towel in case somebody gets whipped cream in their eyes, because I do get competitive. Okay. And also my kids, and I don't find it fun. You know, and so I would rather just not participate. I agree. And I definitely don't want to be holding the bag that I didn't potato sack it hard enough across the finish line or down the slip and slide. And now our team has lost 10 points because my kids will lose it. And I don't care. Like, I want to not care. Yeah. So I tend to just not participate at all other than to cheer for the people who are participating. But I'm not athletic. And so, yeah, for me, competition is fraught. Like, I would have been the kid on the bench. And so I don't love it, but I am sort of a competitive person. Does that make sense? I feel like competition is very innate. My husband, who is the most like mild mannered dude, no temper, very even keeled, except for when he gets a ball (laughs) and a racket in his hand, in which case he becomes a monster. Like he was a highly competitive tennis player as a young person, a very serious tennis player. His tennis partner went on to be a professional tennis player, like very serious tennis. And I enjoy playing tennis, but I'm quite bad at it. And at one point we went out to play, I believe I was seven and a half months pregnant. And I was like, let's go play a little tennis and move around. And it really did end with him like firing 80 mile an hour serves at my pregnant belly. And I was like, what is wrong. What kind of monster am I married to? But he is actually not able to turn off that part of himself. Like when he, we play shoots and ladders with the kids. I'm like, are you cheating? Like (laughs) he cannot stand to lose. I think you're highlighting what it is for me, which is I have zero tolerance for what I perceive as, you know, over competitiveness in other people. Like it isn't even at this, you know, potato sack race thing I was doing with the matching t-shirts. What was really irking me was the adults and the other teams, right, who are cheating or yelling at each other or stuff. Like that gets me so crazy I have to leave. Or the dad yelling at the Little League game. Like that makes me crazy. That's what shows me it's a biological imperative. Like people lose their minds. When you say there's a prize, there's a winner, 
there's a first place, it triggers some sort of weird animal instinct in people. In some people, right. I bet in most people, though. Do you think there's people who are like, I don't care at all? I feel like when you say to people... Well, in the animal kingdom, yes, there are. <laughs> yeah, I get it's like family game night. And you're like, yeah, certain people just go insane when there's any kind of... My husband and... I were playing Trivial Pursuit with his family like 12 years ago, and there's still an ongoing fight about whether or not their final answer was wrong or correct and should have won them the game. Like people get crazy with competition. I figured out what it is and why it's like, why are you being like this? And the fight over like some people taking it seriously and some people not is like when you're elks and you're fighting over there not being enough food, the stakes are very clear or there's plenty of food. And so nobody has to be competitive. Right. But when... You're playing Trivial Pursuit with your brother-in-law, and he's taking it way more seriously than you, or the other way around. There's a disagreement on whether this thing should matter. That's when people get angry. Yeah. It's pretty low stakes to me if we win the potato sack race, but to a lot of people that are around me, it seems way too important. But where they're standing, they're like, competition's fun, and like, yay, we're going to win, and right? Like, I mean, maybe is it sour grapes because their team did win, even though they were yelling at each other? Maybe it is. Well... And competition, I feel like we're down on competition for reasons I understand, but competition does have a role. Yes, it does. I mean, it really is like my kids of like, we've talked about, you know, who can get to the front door fastest and then they're fighting. And I'm like, there is no game called who can get to the front (laughs) door fastest. Like, let's stop. But that competing, like that is how they get better at things. Like we're at the town pool a lot this summer and it's like, who can dive in fastest? Who can this? And like, they're driving each other to get better at certain skills by making it a competition. That is what's driving them to succeed. So I have some pros for competition from a pediatric neuropsych named Timothy Gunn that I thought these were useful because I do want to talk about the positives as well because I think there are some positives. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of positives. Some of these are going to be obvious and some of them less obvious. He says what's good about competition is it helps your kids learn it isn't always the best or brightest who are successful, but those that work hard and stick with it. Sometimes. I guess if that's the lesson to be learned, sometimes, right? And sometimes it's the one with the tutor or the coach or the pool in their backyard, or right? But that's a lesson too, right? Like life ain't fair, people. Right. Life isn't fair is another lesson. Yes. This is one I hadn't really thought about, that being competitive on a team Correct. means learning how to cooperate. So competition is important for your kids to learn because if they want to win, they need to cooperate. And as we were saying before, like a bunch of eight-year-olds playing Little League are all just going to try to do everything themselves and that's why they won't win. But 12-year-olds, you know, whatever, a little bit older than eight, they know how to work together and that must happen. You have to pass the ball sometimes if you're going to beat the best team in the city. Yes. And so you're learning cooperation by being competitive. I'm like, okay, point taken. For sure. And there's a huge amount of importance in that competition is like a third level skill. And there are things that are above it or a third level value. So like I want to win is your top of mind until you realize that like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to cheat maybe to win. I don't want to hurt someone else to win. Like the role of competition and figuring out the importance of competition. And this is why this Simone Biles conversation is interesting, right? Like we go into the Olympics with the idea of like winning is the only goal of the Olympics. And then to have someone confront our beliefs about that by saying like my personal mental health is more important 
and maybe my personal physical safety is more important than gold medal. Like these are the kind of things that our children learn through competing and through being in competitive situations. Or they should, right? They'll learn that from watching Simone Biles. Yeah. Or, and they'll learn it for themselves too. Like, well, we've had situations. Let me give an example. I really worked hard on my Pinewood Derby car independently. And it came in second place, which is a big deal because a Pinewood Derby car is hard to make. And I made mine myself. The person who came in first place, it was extremely clear that their father made their car. Mm Mm-hmm and weighted it correctly for them. And I did a lot of research about how to do it, but I'm nine. That person is a 45-year-old trained engineer. Mm -hmm. That's not a fair fight, but they still got the trophy and I didn't. A chock full of life lessons there, right? Like, Yeah, like lousy life lessons, but it is the real world. It's the real world. And I think that the idea, and I think the idea of like the soccer or the Little League brawl why we laugh about it, it's like you've lost the script. You have competition at the top of your triangle. And what needs to be at the top of your triangle is clearly human decency. And so, you know, I think figuring out the role of competition, the role of wanting to be the best, what you want to do to be the best, there is so much thematically about that. You're dealing with it with college admissions, right? The role of competition in your life seems to me super valuable lessons. It's not always fair why people win. There's one more sort of positive for competitiveness that just sort of occurred to me. So we have a family friend who um, was a teen tennis, like could have gone pro, like almost did, like on the bubble for a while, actually went on the tour, kind of didn't work out for him. And he was playing with one of my kids who was being sort of tearfully competitive about something stupid, you know, and put an arm around this kid and sort of led the kid away, talked to the kid and explained to us afterwards. He said the reason that I had to quit, that I couldn't really become pro is that it became clear that I was unable to control my reactions when I was losing. And I would either throw the racket or throw the game. I would lose because I couldn't handle it when I started to lose. And he ended up deciding that, you know, tennis probably wasn't for him because of that. But talk to my kid about like, if you are going to be good at something, if you want to be competitive, you've got to learn some self-regulation. And you have to learn to be okay with losing sometimes or not let it mess up your game. And so sort of unexpected way being really competitive successfully means putting it more in perspective, means learning to be being successfully competitive means feeling less competitive or dealing with those feelings successfully. Yeah, I mean, really, we had a really different conversation about this than I thought we were going to have. I think where we're coming out is that there is a role for competition, that competition is not a negative or a positive, but that we are all on a lifelong journey and we are helping our kids on their lifelong journey of like, what is their role as competitive and striving people? And how does that work into like the larger reality of who they want to be and how they want to exist in the world? And that finding a way to utilize competition without letting it become the thing that kind of defines your life is seems like where we're all trying to head. Yeah. 
Right. You can't protect them from all the disappointments and all the frustrations. My takeaway is like under eight, everybody gets a trophy. Over eight, okay, life is hard and good guys don't always win. And let's talk about that together. Let's start learning some hard lessons, kids. Yeah. All right, Amy, I'm calling that's a solved it on this one. <laughs> yeah. Friends, we want you to come and follow our Instagram page. We're at What Fresh Hell Cast. And you know what? It's a great place to send us messages. You can always email us info at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. But people like to send us messages on Instagram, topic ideas. Hey, we thought this was funny. This meme is hilarious. And, you know, we respond to that stuff. So come find us on Instagram. A lot going on on the gram, friends. Come see us. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening, friends. Thanks, everybody. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.